Uh, hello, everyone. Welcome to Man in the Stand in conjunction with Star Sports, the gentleman's bookmaker. This week, uh, it's a little bit different. This week, we are doing the WGC Dell Technologies Match Play Championships from the Austin Country Club in Texas. This is one of my favorite tournaments of the year, actually. And I have a very special guest with me as well uh, to go through the, the, the groups and the brackets and decide each of us will give our sort of picks as to who we like to advance through to those groups. And then perhaps at the end, we'll also go and, uh, and, and pick out a winner that we both like as well. So I'm joined uh, tonight by uh, a very special guest by the name of Stu Donald. Stu worked for Troon Golf in Dubai, uh, and then he joined uh, Greg Norman as a, a golf course designer, uh, uh, sorry, a construction manager, uh, and then a um, design coordinator for Greg Norman Golf in Dubai. Now, uh, anyone who's been out to Dubai knows that Greg Norman uh, a design team built a bunch of golf courses uh, in Dubai, the fire, earth, water, and wind courses out in, in Dubai. And, uh, you know, they are, they are pretty world-renowned golf courses. In fact, um, the Dubai, the DP World Championship is played each year in November uh, on uh, uh, the fire course, I believe. Uh, so Stu had, a, as I say, a direct hand in working with um, Greg Norman's design team in and and basically designing these courses. So I've always wanted to get Stu on because I've always been interested in actually, you know, as a keen golfer, and I know many listeners are very keen golfers, as to what actually it takes to build a golf course. You know, how do you actually go about building a golf course and, and, and what sort of, what are we talking about in terms of, you know, uh, design and space and money and, and all that sort of thing. So uh, welcome, Stu Donald. It's a real pleasure to have you with us. Thanks, Craig. Pleasure to be here. Thanks, mate. On the other side of the world and not not in isolation. Yeah. So, yeah, we have two New Zealanders. Uh, for yeah, So you're going to get a double helping of antipathy and twang uh, this evening. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm sitting in uh, in in springtime Ireland. I have to say, it is actually after a very very long dreary, COVID-filled winter. We are starting to see daffodils and sunshine and and longer days. Thank God, and uh, uh, I'm really happy to see the back of that winter because it was pretty dreadful, uh, as a lot of uh, the people up this end of the world know all too well. Uh, and Stu sitting in uh, sunny New Zealand at the end of a of a long, lovely summer out with concerts and sporting events and no masks and uh, <laughs> that must have been pretty nice, Stu. Yeah, I think we New Zealanders really, truly don't know how lucky they are this year. The season, of, the summer hasn't been amazing. It's probably been better up north than down south in the country, which is actually a big difference quite often it's a bit um, warmer when you get up north it's probably still summer up there really and you get further south you get the days are starting to get a bit shorter but the the things that have been amazing this year for us we've had a couple of lockdowns big lockdown in Auckland originally and then another couple of really short stints but uh, we really don't know what it's like we've been out playing golf doing whatever we need to do in pubs maybe 50% of the population has actually cared about the COVID and taking um, some uh, serious steps to track and trace and keep away from others. But the reality is people are just carrying on with their lives. So I've been very lucky. So anyway, yeah, good to be yeah, here. Yeah, you have. 
yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's not been, I mean, we're still in lockdown here and, uh, you know, in the UK as well. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, in Europe, it's still, it's still, you know, in patches as well. So it's, you know, we, we hope to see the, you know, this talk of it kind of ending, you know, soon, but let's move on past that. Cause I, I mean, anyone up here is we're absolutely <laughs> sick and tired of that subject. So when did you yeah. join? Um, yep. So when did you join uh, Greg Norman's design team, Stu? Uh, Greg Norman's design team. So uh, before that, I worked in Australia, uh, building golf courses in different parts of Australia. Yes, have a real passion for golf and got started in constructing golf courses and decided in about two, the year 2000, 1999, that no matter what I did, I worked for Greg Norman. I met him one day and said, I'm going to work for you one day, one day. And he said, okay, interesting. And then um, flicked me off. <laughs> Fair enough, because I was nobody. And so I went away and uh, built a couple more courses, but they were Greg Norman uh, designed golf courses in Australia down right. around the Mel- Melbourne area. And then they had an opportunity to move to uh, Kerry Packer, who's a big media magnate, was building a course up in the middle of the Hunter Valley where the floods are in Australia at the moment, up in the okay. hinterland, up in the ranges. And he built a private golf course up on his property. And again, Greg Norman. And so that was a lot closer. Contact. When that when that finished, there wasn't much more going on. One more course. And a company called Troon Golf, who's a golf course management company, probably the um, of, golf, of golf course management, particularly in the US where they manage high-end golf courses, offered me a job in the Middle East. And I turned up in, on April the 1st, 2002, uh, not a joke to um, the bright, shiny, about to go crazy Middle East and work for Troon Golf in, as a construction manager, helping them to build uh, the first golf courses that were being built there, which weren't actually Greg Norman courses, but they were coming up. And then a couple of years doing that and Greg Norman Golf Course Design, the, the company that runs obviously all his golf course design business, was looking because they were in a massive boom, meaning they had 105 or 108 golf courses that were on their books at some stage of construction. So, wow. pretty much signed up to go through into construction. And that was the, the maybe that was a couple of years after that, but it was um, they were leading into wanted a wanted a Middle East or part of part of the world uh, representative, and that's what the design coordinators were. So they have. They had at the time about six or seven design coordinators dotted all around the world. And so I became that guy. So about 2004, I guess, I joined the Greg Norman golf course design team. So I finally got to work for Greg. Oh, that's that's fantastic. What what, what did, When you first arrived in the Middle East and you got off the plane from, you know, coming from where we come from, uh, where, you know, it's you know, green trees, rolling hills, uh, you know, lush valleys and everything. When you first stepped off the plane and you and you jumped onto the, you know, like onto the tarmac and looked around and saw what Dubai was, what did you think about the possibility of building amazing golf courses in the middle of a desert? Um, that's a really good point. I probably didn't think at all. I probably just, stood in awe at where the heck am I and yeah first thoughts were I remember a conversation before I went there and was moving there with my uh, wife and four-month-old child at the time uh, how do I buy pots and pans 
or can I buy pots and pans? <laughs> and so that had nothing to do with golf courses. It was um, the reality, especially with a new child that we didn't really know much. And so we, I got there and it was settle in, find out where you are. And then the instant um, exposure to building a golf course was here, jump in this car, four wheel drive, probably a Jeep Cherokee, it would have been. Yeah. An old Jeep Cherokee. Let's go. And out we go out of the Montgomery Golf Course, which is a, another. Um, quite prominent golf course in, in Dubai and turn right turn right, and head straight out through the desert and across the desert and across the dunes <laughs> into the middle of nowhere and say well here we are <laughs> and so the, um, the, the idea of actually building a golf course uh, on the, the day I went out there with my boss at the time um, a guy called Dave Nichols who, were, who is still working for Trin Golf a legend of a guy it was the the first day we went was actually a blizzard, so a blizzard of sand, not a blizzard of snow. It was a sandstorm, and we drove onto the site about five hundred meters into the site, and then went, uh, we're, we're, "How do we get out of here?" And so we were lost. We were literally lost, and we used the compass to say uh, the compass in the car to say, "Well, we know the beach is that way. Let's drive that way." And so there was, nothing, leaping, no, there was nothing around you, no no buildings, nothing. It was just rolling sand dunes. There was a uh, high end that ran that's past the, past the site, and then from there to the other side of Oman was basically sand and, wow. and rock once you get up into the mountains. And so we drove. The only thing we, we found out there is there's a jet pipeline that runs from the, the – the, the where they process the gas to the airport and it's buried under sand and whatever and it's like a little mound but a long long stretchy mound and we found that at about 30 kilometers per hour and <laughs> left the ground and hit the sand dunes on the other side and said you know lots of words <laughs> we're gonna die out there and so eventually using the compass we found our way back and hit the road that goes past the course but it was well um I don't know what to do here. So yeah, it was uh, it was. I don't know how to build a golf course out here, especially from coming from. I'd been in Australia on sandy courses, but they were near civilization. This felt like you were literally in. Which you... Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that that's. I can just imagine, like wondering, you know, how do I? How does grass grow here? And what are we gonna? How do we? How do we lay soil and 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 and, and put greens down and. Uh, yeah, that. Yeah. So, so uh, I guess it was a pretty, uh, pretty steep learning curve for the first couple of years, was it, Stu? Yeah. Well, the, the, I mean, there was guys that had done it before, so it wasn't as if I was the first person that was building a golf course yeah. in the desert. And there was guys there that. But for had, you personally, um, I mean, for you personally, it must have been, uh, you know, to be looking at that and thinking, okay, uh, I, I guess I'll just, uh, you know, listen to the advice of these guys and follow their lead, kind of thing. I suppose is it. Yeah, it just you fell into it because you got there and started, and before you know it, you were working daylight till dusk, seven days a week, and so it didn't have much time to think. You just got started. But the reality is, the two two things: one, the the land was amazing, so it was sand dunes. So if you can think of the best ever land for golf courses, you probably wander up into Scotland, Ireland, and they built golf courses. Okay, they were out of grass, but they were just through the sand dunes. 
well, the sand dunes were there. Yeah. It was just that the grass wasn't there. Why wasn't the grass there? There's no water. So put water in and put a bit of grass on the ground and bingo, you're away. And honestly, it is as simple as that. Yes, you've got to put fertilizer in and you've got to um, start shaping little bits and pieces here and there. But when you stand the the, the most exciting part of uh, ever of golf course design is standing in a good piece of land and mapping out a golf course. It's really, really good fun. Waving your arms around is what I call it. But when you looked out at that land, yeah. it's like, wow, I could have put a thousand golf courses in that area that would have been amazing. So it was really, really good fun. And then the, learn, the learning curve was uh, managing fires, fires because, because the wind would come up and everything you'd done, the pumps would run out and there's no water. Uh, doing things in the in that region, building golf courses was still pretty new. So how do I get a shovel? How do I get a uh, rake? I was shopping in the old trading areas of Dubai, picking up bits and pieces just to make it work. So it was mm. real, we call it in New Zealand number eight wide, where you mm. take whatever you've got and just get it done. And so it was mm. a lot of that really quickly but i've done that as well i've been doing that so so, that so talking about that arm waving sort of side of it um that's really interesting uh, because let's move on to that so let's say that i uh, uh you know had a few acres and i thought i, I want to build a golf course and I, I i and i look across this land and i see in my mind's eye the the, the golf course kind of stretching out in front of me and, and what i want to create because i'm sure you know it's run across the mind of a few people thought i wonder how you know how you do it so First of all, Stu, to build on an eighteen-hole golf course, what sort of acreage do you need to to uh, to fit in a really good eighteen-hole golf course? Yeah, okay, a really good question, and it, it's changed over the years because the golf courses have got longer. But as they've got longer, probably more importantly, they've got wider because the the average shot that used to go say two twenty off the tee where someone you know, 40, 50 years ago, used to hit a good drive, 220, 240 down the middle. And I'm not talking about pros. I'm talking about normal golfers. Used yeah. to hit it probably up to 40, 50 yards offline. Uh, now they hit it phew, 100 yards offline because when you get those big boomers out there, they they don't only go long straight, they go long sideways. So the golf courses have got wider. So take a typical old old school golf course, probably in the U.K., are in Scotland, anywhere really, but uh, in particular, uh, they were 100 acres. 100 acres, you could build a good golf course. And okay. now you're pretty much looking at double that. But the other thing that uh, makes it really difficult is if you're putting housing around a golf course, take uh, is a really good example. Hopefully I can picture this. If you've got a hole running away from you and then the next yeah. hole is running back to you, then yeah. the bit between those two holes, you need less distance between those two holes because if you hit it sideways on one of them it's going to go onto the other hole and all the courses that used to be built were basically get a, give us a box of 100 acres and they're internal now if, with so many holes running along houses if you have one hole running straight ahead you've got to have as much space on the right as you do on the left so you can't double up so you take way more space into it so it becomes 100 hectare which which is you know 2.4 times so you, you're two and a half times the size they used to be you get up to 100 hectares to a couple of hundred acres before you can get a decent area for a modern golf course if you've got wow. houses around it 
So it's a, pr- a fairly big chunk of land now. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so all right, I've got I've got a couple of hundred acres, so that fits me. I think okay, I I, I can that that can fit a good eighteen hole golf course. Now I want a design team, and I want a, a guy like yourself to come in and actually build me a, a golf course. And I want you know I want you to bring in who you need um, personnel wise and what you need machinery wise. Uh, and so um, the first question I have on that is. Um, what sort of time scale are we talking, Stu? Uh, let's say that it's a nice, uh, you know, malleable sort of pliable piece of land that can be, you know, uh, moved and and uh, and you know, and it's it's got some good contours on it already, so there doesn't have to be a hell of yep. a lot of earth moving. What what sort of time scale are we talking to actually? Um, and I know that of course takes a long time to bed in and what have you, but let's just go from 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 sort of go to woe. What sort of time uh, would a team uh, that you would bring on? Uh, take to actually put a golf course together yeah okay so uh, really hugely depends on where you are in the world so yeah two two growing seasons is a as a golf course finished really so where you catch those growing seasons is important but okay we're in north america well we've got winter to deal with so normally in north america it's probably going to take you a couple of years to get through the construction because you've got the summer to construct when we hit dubai and the and that desert and that hot weather pretty much all year round meaning a growing season pretty much all year round with the right grasses right. yeah we built uh, the first golf course i worked on in 10 months and it was uh, playable and in pretty good condition in 10 months and that was with all and stuff and stuff we had so you can race through construction, like you said, really important on a piece of land that you don't have to push around too much. So that golf course, for example, we used a, a couple of bulldozers. If we had a big um, bit of earth to move, it was just a D10 type bulldozer to come in and push a big chunk of dirt around or push a big yep. chunk of sand around. Um, but the rest of it was just tickling over the top and and moving little mounds here and there and, sh- and removing two sharper edges and molding it. To, to fit in I, i'm going to go backwards one thing the first um thing you said waving your arms around is uh the most exciting part and the funniest, funniest part funnest part mm. it's not a word mm. funnest part of golf course because as a golfer as a kid i remember putting a stick in the ground and hitting around that tree and over the creek out in the back paddock and mm. When we first started doing this in the desert, that is where the real passion of any golf course, Tom Dokes and Kyle Phillips and go back in time and, and um, Pete Dyes and all these guys, mm. you watch their face when they walk into a good site. Wow. You can look down there. Well, if I hit against that hill, the kind of hole drifts around. You might find an area that the green would look um, amazing in here. How do we get to this hole? And they start mapping it out. A little bit on paper. A lot of it standing in the field, maybe with a range finder um, to see how far it is to that corner to go around there. Then we match up with that hole coming back and the sun setting here and the winds prevailing there and all these things. It really is good fun. But a funny story about that is uh, the local television station in Dubai, when when I started working for Greg and we were designing actually the wind, earth, fire and water courses, of which only two have been finished. Um, mm. But the, we started designing the first one. We had free reign to do anything amazing, amazing uh, piece of land, incredible. Build the golf course and we'll do the housing around it, which means you're not con- you know, constrained by the housing areas. 
So we got up there with the film crew, just Greg and I, and we were walking around the hills. I had my pen and paper out and some range finders and, and we're looking at where the hole should go and we're both sort of waving our arms around. And in the background, sort of watching all this was Greg's manager, a guy called Bart Collins. And at one stage, Bart yelled out and said, um, excuse me, excuse me to the guys with the camera and said, you're filming the wrong guy. So they were, they were filming me and... They were filming me instead of Greg, which I thought was fantastic, but <laughs> it, got, it got very quickly edited out. And uh, <laughs> so that was my close, closest to fame I've been. But yeah, really good. And that, really good. And that was seeing Greg with passion. That was really exciting for him um, to be just, that's a, that's a real good part of golf course. But yeah, time-wise, maybe anything from, any from 10 months to a couple of years. Okay. Now, um, so I think great. I've got my two hundred acres. Uh, you're telling me, you, you know, you know. Let's say we're up in this part of the world, Europe. So we're probably looking at, you know, to say a couple of years. Um, okay, fine. I'm okay with that. Uh, now I'm going to get down to brass tacks with you, Stu, and say, okay, to get you and your team on to design me, you know, the golf course uh, of my dreams. Uh, what are we talking about, money-wise? How much is it going to cost yeah. me to build a nice eighteen-hole golf course, Stu? Yeah, right. Again, a really good question and a massive range. So you can imagine uh, a lot of it starts with how much money have I got? So when uh, someone approaches, say, Greg Norman Golf Course Design, they're looking for a designer to be involved, uh, sorry, a, a prominent name to be involved with their golf course design. But they're also looking yeah. for, of course, to be, of course, to be built properly. So anyone can go out in a paddock and push some dirt around and and put the right grasses in the right place and maybe a bit of irrigation. And there you go, we've got a golf course. I could do that in the paddock in front of my house and have a mm. uh, half-decent golf course. It will cost me the cost of irrigation, the grasses, the, the fuel to push the dirt around, and labor. And so I could build it for uh, – I could do something for a million dollars on a really, really low end. But reality, if to get a half decent golf course on a good piece of land is going to cost you, say, $5 million to get a good irrigation system okay. in. Then you've got to top up with machinery to maintain and all that sort of stuff comes on the end of it. When you get into those big, high scale development type golf courses, an example would be the, the course where the, uh, where the European Tour finishes, the race to Dubai, is actually played on the Earth course. So there's earth and fire courses have been built. They play on the earth course. The earth and fire were built together yep. and cost roughly a hundred million US dollars. Now that's way Oof. over the top, and they were there was wow. a lot of extra expense in there because of the way it was set up. But it was in the boom times of development where things overpriced. It was hard to get people. It was hard to get resource and the people building or people constructing many projects around the world were didn't have an understanding of what literally what they were doing. And so there was just a mass of expense that wasn't required, but that was where they got to the, the same, same goes with the Tiger Woods course that was being built out there at the time was over a hundred million US. And that was one course on its own, a lot of tree planting, incredible site. Wow. But that was ridiculous. That was there's no way they should have near that near that value. Okay, so uh, if I, as you say, want to wanted to do that, and you know, and 
I think it's a very good point you raised there about getting a name uh, associated with the course because it does seem that, uh, you know, for any course that seems to want to, I guess, take itself uh, seriously and, 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 and attract a clientele and a membership and, uh, and maybe some tournaments of note, they seem to need to have, uh, as you say, a Greg Norman, a Pete Dye, a Jack Nicholas, a Tiger Woods, a, a whoever. Uh, Ernie Ells springs to mind as well. He designed one in Dubai as well, didn't he? Uh, uh, you yeah. know, so it does seem that there's a lot of um, you know money and and for these guys to actually attach themselves and actually put a design team in and, and and build these courses. But if I couldn't afford that and I just wanted a good course that I want, you know, that I, that I could attract the membership and 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 get a good you know a good standard of um, of golf course out of I'm probably listening to you. I'm probably looking in the vicinity of about five million bucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's going to get you a real quality golf course. The the problem you get sometimes when you bring in a big name is also the expense that comes with them. If they start uh, yeah. asking for too many changes, yeah. they want a certain level of quality that often brings uh, agronomists and and extra expense that isn't always necessary. At the same time they rightly have a claim to say that the value that they bring in terms of marketing your real estate development, like you said, that all comes back to, to marketing, but that name carries a heck of a lot more weight than, than a nobody. So the value yeah. for sure you get back, but if you're, if you're out there building a golf course for passion, you'll quite often get, um, I believe a better golf course with less, dare I say, ego involved in an opinionated design by a lesser known golf course designer and design company and maybe even design a build company than you would you know, that with the bigger names. But the bigger names are also fun to play with. If you're, It's a five-star world mm. and the guys that are building golf courses or the companies that are building golf courses are normally playing in a five, so it's a lot, so it's a lot of fun that comes into it yeah and and obviously i mean with the with the continual kind of spread of these as you say five-star golf courses and in the five-star world that we live in and this kind of top sort of percentage of of people who where money is no object and they can fly to these courses and play these you know these certain famous courses that you know their money is no object and i'm reminded of of a time when we were in Ireland, Stu, and we, and we were talking to those helicopter pilots uh, uh, who were taking us to the races that day, and there was and I was saying, "What's your busiest part of your business?" And he said, Our, "My business, my busiest part of my helicopter business is flying wealthy Americans around Ireland to play on the golf courses," which I was just absolutely stunned by that there are people living and operating at that level where they can fly around. You know, Ireland, Scotland, England, and choppers uh, from the states um, uh, playing golf. Uh, you know, but but you know that's just a, a level of um, uh, uh, that's that really is around and out there, isn't isn't it? True. Yep. You know? And that's the golf course world. The golf course world is not all like that, and and for sure there's still some localized courses being built, but there's not many courses now that are built by. If you go back in New Zealand's history, we're one of the highest number of golf courses per capita in the world and it, w it was all golf courses built by local communities farming communities that yeah. someone donated land yeah. and away all the locals went down and built a golf course and, and maybe it was a good piece of land maybe it wasn't but it certainly wasn't uh, elitist it was the the real no no 
you know, and and that's the refreshing thing about a place like New Zealand is you can still go out to a country course like Rangatira and and play eighteen holes for thirty dollars on what is a visually stunning golf course. Yep, exactly, you know? and that's that's a shame that we can't yeah. do more of that, but that's the world. Yep. Yeah. So let's move on then to uh, you touched on it. Uh, so I'm just I, I've got that. I've got the money. I think okay, I can do this. Uh, now I want to ask you uh, a, a, a really contentious question and that is and you touched on something about it earlier as well which uh, you talked about the real estate aspect and the housing aspect is this a viable business option is is this something that at me as a landowner and i want to design a golf course and potentially make money am i is am i potentially going to make money out of this or is this a, a massive white elephant that could actually cost me like millions and, and really i wouldn't see much return from or, you know is there a way to make golf courses um uh, financially viable or you know are they financially viable or or, or are they not what, what's your thoughts yeah okay so we went through a real boom period say if you go back to the 80s for example and golf out of japan and golf in the u.s was going crazy the u.s was as and is still without doubt the mecca of golf and there's the idea of there's two part two ways to look at a golf course development. One, I've got a piece of land, and this is the size of that piece of land. I could cover it in houses and sell it for X. And at X, my return is going to be whatever. If I had a golf course with views or lakes or there is already views across the valley, obviously I get more money for selling my house. So if you sit down, run that calculation, if I take away the land that could be houses and put a golf course will I make more overall for that for that size or that area of land? And that's the basic calculation. But the second part to it, and this is what came up in Dubai as Dubai was building their footprint or planning their footprint, is they were creating laws by the by the, the city that they needed a green space. That needed there was a green space requirement, put it that way. So they set their green space requirement at that time at about 8%. So they needed 8% of land to not be developed and had to be green space. That one easy way to create green space and add value is to build a golf course. So you can take up some area and there's your green space. It's not necessarily usable by everyone and as opposed to a park. But um, there's the target taken care of and it added value. But as a city that adding, building a golf course not only helped increase the value of the land around the, the golf course itself for that developer, so this is a big developer uh, um, type scenario as opposed to a small developer that has bought a piece of land. These, these big developers in Dubai had access to huge um, tracts of land, but they were working with the government to attract people in tourism. So, so if you take uh, Orlando, in the US, for example, Orlando, mm. Florida was built and is still built really on theme parks and conferences, but also golf. So there's something to do for everyone. There's something mm. to do for your kids. There's something to do for the business. There's something to do for golf, golfers. And then you add shopping in and around that, and you've basically got a family package and a business travel package. So mm. Dubai, as a growing city, was looking at uh, how do we attract people, tourists, to come to our city to stay in our hotels, to pay for food, to um, pay the local taxes? So there's there's no income tax in Dubai, but there is local taxes 
and so that was adding to their economy and so building a building a golf course helped with that as a developer yes they had a green space requirement they probably overdid their requirement by putting a golf course in so they had more percentage that went to uh that went to green space because of the golf course being a bit bigger than your average parks but for sure the value return of the houses lining the golf course Funnily enough, originally they didn't understand that and they didn't even price the houses any different. So if you were three streets back, they had the same price as the same type house on the golf course. We had to convince them that that wasn't right. And it was actually the market that decided that. So three sales down the line or two sales down the line, five, ten years later, the value of the horse, that house on the golf course is three or four times the value of that house back in, in two streets back. So the value proposition of a house on a golf course is is very, very much worth developing a piece of land. But there's so many more factors into it. How close am I to a big population? What are the rest of the amenities like? Uh, what is the land itself like? You know, there's so many things. What are the house and land packages like? There's a lot of a lot of other factors that go into it. But yes, as a developer, for sure, if it's done right, there is added value to build a golf course inside a community. Okay. If I was to say to you, uh, Stu, uh, uh, you know, I have various tracts of land. I'm going to give you free reign. What would be your design favorite to, uh, to design a golf course on in terms of the tract of land? Uh, would you like uh, to do something on links, uh-huh. uh, parkland, a resort course, What's your what would be your kind of favourite uh, course to design? Nothing to? beats a good piece of land, so it depends on where you're sitting. If you're sitting on Lynx land and it's got a beautiful, uh, beautiful lake, you can you can roll in and not have to change too much. Without a doubt, that's a, a great, um, the, probably the best scenario for a golf course designer. But there's nothing stopping a, a nothing to say that a beautiful piece of parkland with forest with trees with lakes that sort of feeling isn't as much fun you can it's the there's probably more fun in being able to add trees and shape a golf course as soon as you talk trees i instantly think of harbour town because harbour town we all know short course it's still hard to play and basically it's just shaped by trees yeah and they cut that out of the trees but if you plan and build over time and you can and build those trees into a golf course that that's a lot of fun and you can build some beautiful parkland golf courses they have more um what would you say they're more ornamental in their in their appearance there's courses around so augusta they're really good one really good one but there's courses around in that area that are very ornamental beautiful flower beds and beautiful gardens and they're very clean and tidy whereas the linksy courses are definitely more rough and ready if they're done in a traditional way so uh, to be honest, I love the ornamental setup, but you can definitely have a more natural golf course out of the, the linksy type environment. So I don't mention there's no favorite, no favorite. They're all fun. <laughs> okay. So let's move on then to uh, the WGC match play. But just before we do, um, just to finish off this this conversation about golf courses on. Uh, we're only a month, not even a month now from Augusta, from the Masters. Now, you've been to Augusta, and you have talk, you talk in just glowing terms about Augusta National as a golf course. 
what makes Augusta such a special golf course for you? You know, it, with your golf designer's head on, uh, golf course designer's head on, uh, and you know, being a you know, massive fan and a, and a participator in the sport yourself, what what makes Augusta National such an incredible um, course to see and go and visit? Uh, yeah, wow. Uh, the the US Masters is an incredible tournament. It's the most amazingly run tournament you could ever be part of. It's absolutely the pinnacle of anything you'll go and see as a golf yeah. fan. It's just so well run and such a beautiful event and so many cool, fun things about it. The course itself, uh, is the condition is a massive part of that. If it was played down the road at another course with a with a better layout, it would be great. But it has to be in that absolute amazing, pristine condition. But tradition has made it an amazing course as much as anything. The remembering the shot that Phil Mickelson hit from the trees, or remembering the putt that Jack Nicholas made on the 16th or remember it. So that in its own is just a huge part of the course being yeah. amazing. And, and if you're any golfer around my middle age and you've been watching golf for as long as I have, remembering waking up in the morning in New Zealand time and sitting with my dad in my pajamas and looking at this golf, there was excitement about it. And I know every aspect or every corner of that golf yeah. course. And so knowing and understanding the little intricacies of that golf course is part of loving the course. But apart from that, it is beautiful, beautiful setting. And it's incredible what they do and how they, so it's just a pinnacle. It's the best of the motor car. It's the best of the chocolate. It's the top of the run. It's you said incredible. to me when you were there uh, after you came back that it was far more, it's 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 far hillier than it looks on television. Um, talk me about talk to me th through yeah. that. Like, is it uh, is it all over the course? Uh, was it one certain parts of the course are more hillier? No, the whole course is just through the the hills and valleys of that local region, which are really quite. It's just a really highly undulated yeah. area, and so it it doesn't uh, it, today. If you design a course across that area, there's quite often people follow rivers and valleys, and that course crosses valleys, drops down hills, climbs back up. So uh, a really good example, crosses valleys at the first. There's a big valley straight down and back up again. Well, would you really do that to your golfers? The ninth hold all the way down to the bottom and back up to a green again, you wouldn't necessarily do that. The eighth hole is just this massive climb, climb, climb back up to the green. You wouldn't do that to every, every everyday average walking golfers these days. You'd be more inclined to follow valleys or, or stay along the ridges and wind yeah. your way through it. But that's what they did. And so that makes it, little not unique but it makes it fun and it makes it different in yeah. some ways okay let's uh, talk about the uh, as you say the wgc um world match play championships uh, the austin country club in in tech in austin, austin texas this is actually a talking about great golf course designers this is a pete Dye designed course uh 
I, I really love this tournament. I, I love watching this tournament every year. I, I just love the element of match play. Uh, you know, it, it's a nice, it makes a nice change from the stroke play events. Uh, for me, I, I really enjoy watching it. And um, I enjoy having a punt on it too, you know. Uh, I, 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 it's, it's exciting uh, to, you know, try and sort of pick out a guy or, or two at the beginning of the week who you, you know, who, who you look at their groups and you look, think maybe this guy can maybe he can get out of his group and get through he could go a long way and i've i've done all right once or twice out of this tournament so i you know it's always has a soft sort of center in my heart this this tournament but uh, uh you know i i really like the tournament it's a this course is you know it's a past 71 7048 yards so it's it's not not terribly long but it is as with most peak die tracks a, a pretty tight technical kind of track where and it's got a, a a large amount of risk and reward to it and, and uh you know if, if you are accurate uh, and and good off the tees and you've got a you know a, a good iron game you can, you can uh you can make hay on this course so yeah you know, i really enjoy the course itself um you don't have to be massively long like the winners here are are, are a mixture of good second ball um strikers and and uh good ball strikers and good you know and good power guys as well so you know, it's a pretty open sort of feel to this, and it just, um, just you know, depends on on how you're feeling on the week. And and the great thing about match play at this level is anyone can beat anyone, uh, as we've seen down the years. So we're going to go through the through the groups. Um, the group one, uh, uh, Dustin Johnson, uh, number one seed, Kevin Nah, number thirty four seed, Robert McIntyre, the Scott Young Scotsman, he's playing very well at the moment, forty forty one in the world, and Adam Long, uh, sixty one in the world. Uh, who do you like, Stu, in this particular group to advance? I think it's a, it's a good thing that you've said it's having it's having a punt on this tournament because it's one against the other. You accumulators, and the first yeah. thing I do when I look at these groups is I look at who is the top seed in each group, if you like. So they've divided them up, and if you scroll through, it's the who's who of golf, and of course they should be, they should in theory all be meeting. In the as we get closer to the end of the tournament, yeah. Um, so it's almost there's a no brainer in the first groups, and then there's a dark horse. So the no brainer to me is DJ, he's still playing well, he's been off his game a tiny bit, but wow, off his game is not like a normal off his game. I've got a funny feeling that he's got maybe a little bit of this that he's been thinking of, but he's got the masters in, in mind and he's working towards that. Now, but this will be a good test of as, as he builds up concentration level and who's going to beat him on this course Kevin Nas probably got a chance because it's not as as we say day and it's about keeping it in play but DJ's been keeping in play Rob McIntyre's been playing really well but DJ DJ yeah I should say um apologies I should have actually said at the beginning uh, obviously in these there are 16 groups of four uh, and the Top player, and you know they play in a round robin format in these group play, uh, in this group play scenario in this format at the beginning. And the top player, uh, when they do, uh, you know, all the, the tally up of all the matches, the top player in each group advances through to the quarters, the semis, and and the final. So uh, I, I'm with you, Stu. I think you know uh, the question is who gets out of this group, um, and and as you say that you know if you look at it by uh, logic and um, you know they've got they've got top seeds in each, every group avoiding each other uh, so that hopefully they get through to the um to, through the, the knockout stages but it doesn't always work like that as we as we well know wow. I, I i agree with you i i think dustin johnson 
he he's played well before here. He you know he likes it. I think I think looking at the, the looking at his opposition in this group, yeah, I, I I find it hard to go past that guy. So we're both in agreement there. We're going to say um, Dustin Johnson goes through in Group One. Group Two, uh, Justin Thomas, what a win at the TPC last the other week. My God, uh, that was an incredible last round where he absolutely just was on fire on Saturday and Sunday. Caught a Tiring Lee Westwood, who's played amazing over the last few weeks, and full credit to Lee, but uh, and Bryson DeHeshambo, who had a, a really quite a, a strange Sunday at TPC and uh, and uh, was all over the place. Uh, and Justin Thomas just came through to pick up the pieces in style, and uh, he's such a street fighter. I love this guy. Uh, so Justin Thomas is the is the is the hot seed in this group. Uh, uh, Others in this group, there's, no, there's some good players here. Um, Louis Oosthuizen, who um, mm-hmm. is, a, is an excellent player in his own right. Kevin Kisner, the defending champion, is in this group. Now, this Kevin Kisner's played twice in the last two years. 2018, they played this, and he got beaten up by Bubba Watson 7 and 6. But full credit to Kevin Kisner, came back the next year and beat Matt Kuchar in the final 3 and 2. So um, he is... Uh, he's got form on this course. He said he loves the course. He's a he's a good match player. He's a very you know an excellent putter, very good ball striker. So Justin Thomas's way through this is not exactly guaranteed. And then the losing finalist as well in this group, Matt Kuchar. So Justin Thomas, Louis Eustace, and Kevin Kisner, Matt Kuchar. You could call this a group of death in, in some ways. <laughs> what do you think, Stu? Yeah, <laughs> um, it's the worst one to pick if you go through all of the groups. I would say Justin Thomas will be distracted. He'll be thinking about the Masters. You have to come up with some. So this is mine. This is mine. Justin distracted. He'll be thinking. He'll be thinking about the Masters. This is a big deal for Kevin Kisner. So he'll be aiming to win this again. This is his payday, if you like. Every year, yeah. Matt Kuchar is going to be trying in the same way because he's not going to win the Masters. But Louis Oosthuizen's in really good form. Yeah. So I'm going to go with Louis Oosthuizen. Yeah, well, I'm going to go with Kevin Kisner because I uh, think Kisner has been, yeah, uh, you know, going. You know, he loves this tournament. Uh, I, I, look, Justin Thomas could just as easily um, uh, turn up. He's such a street fighter, that guy, and he could just as easily win. But I'm, I'm going to go a bit sideways as well with you. I'm, I'm going to go Kevin Kisner uh, for the reasons I've said. You're going to go Ustazen for the reasons you've said, and I, and I think those are both very good shouts. So um, let's go through to Group Three: John Rahm. Ryan Palmer, Shane Lowry, Sebastian Munoz or Munoz, who's been playing amazing. I've been really, really impressed with the, this Colombian. Uh, he's he's um, he's he's playing awesome, and I'm uh, I think he could be a dark horse. What do you think, Stu? Uh, I think this one's. I'm going for Shane Lowry again. I'm sort of running with the concept that John Rahm won't necessarily be focused on winning this. He'll be trying hard. But I think Shane Lowry has actually hit some form as well, and he'd be a fantastic match player. He's played a lot of match play in the past, and I just think this is his this is, this is his time to have a crack. Yeah, it's a very good shout, Stu. Shane Lowry is a very. I, I'm kind of still, I'm kind of still undecided on this group. Uh, I think Shane Lowry is a good, very good shout because, as you say, his recent form has been excellent. Uh, he got uh, very close the um, the other week uh, at, uh, at no, last week at Florida National. It was a brutal test, uh, and he just kind of fell apart in the weekend a little bit. But he he's playing well, Shane Lowry, and uh, I think that's a very good case. I'm going to go with John Rahm because I I just think uh, Rahm could 
he's got the class. I think he's got the edge of class over the rest of these players. So you're going to go Larry. I'm going to go John Rahm. Uh, group four, Colin Murakawa, Billy Horschel, Max Homer, and JT Poston. Who do you like? Yeah, this one's tough as well. Colin Murakawa playing really well, but I'm going to stick with a of the same theory. And Gus Homer, who's, who's been playing good golf. I think he'll be thinking about the Masters as well, but I think he'll be concentrating on solidifying his current form, which is awesome. I, and he now knows he can play and he can win. I like him. I, I, I really like that, Stu. I, I thought he was so good at the Genesis Invitational to take that, uh, to beat Finau in that playoff. Uh, I, I've been so impressed with Max Homer. Uh, he's no, he's no flash in the pan. This guy is here to stay, and uh, I, I agree with you. I, I, I think he could be really good. But the only guy I'm more impressed with in this group is Colin Morikawa. I, I just think this, this kid is unbelievable, yeah. and uh, I, I'm, I'm so impressed with Morikawa's game. He's such a complete golfer. Okay, he didn't have a, he didn't have a great week at the TPC, but um, I just. It, on a golf course that requires accuracy and 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 good iron play, uh, Colin Morikawa has shown that he's the kind of golfer that can just nudge it and shift it about and put it where it needs to be. Um, he's, he's changed his mm. grip, his putting grip in the last few weeks, um, and that came good for him uh, the the other week when he won. I think I, I'm, I you make a good case for Homer, but I, I I'm I'm I've become a huge fan of Colin Morikawa, so I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with Colin Morikawa. Um, group five: Bryson DeChambeau, Tommy Fleetwood, Siwoo Kim, and Antoine Rosner. Who do you Bryson. like, Stewie? I like Bryson. I don't like Bryson, but but he's my favourite for this group. I just think he'll overpower these guys. He'll just he'll, he'll he takes so much away from his opposition by detracting them from their own game. That I think this is a classic tournament where, where that'll happen and so Bryson will advance I agree with you I I think Bryson DeChambeau will take as you say he, he takes so much away from other players what also never really gets talked about enough is how good a putter this guy is he is such a good yeah. putter Bryson DeChambeau and I am massively impressed with his scrambling and putting game and I, I'm with you I think Bryson DeChambeau um, walks through this field um, Tommy Fleetwood and Siwoo Kim are great players in their own right, but uh, and Rosner I don't know much about. But um, uh, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think Bryson DeChambeau is going to be very hard to hold out in this group. Uh, group six: Xander Schauffele, Scotty Scheffler, Jason Day, Andy Sullivan. I'm going to start on this one. I, I I'm a big proponent of Xander Schauffele. Always have been, but man, he's been struggling lately. I'm not sure that Xander Schauffele is in. Is in the headspace at the moment where uh, you know he can he can get out of this group. Um, uh, Jason Day's on the improve lately. Scotty Scheffler, I I, I really rate Scotty Scheffler. Uh, uh, Andy Sullivan's a good a great you know good player on the European right in his own uh, in his own regard as well. Uh, I'm trying to decide if I think Scheffler um, Schofle can 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 get out of this group and 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 I just haven't seen the form of him lately. Now he could make a liar of me and and, and get through this group. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with Scotty Scheffler uh, in this group. What about you, Stu? What are your thoughts? I'm going with Jason Day on his 
hard, hard work fighting at the moment to bring back some form. So um, with Jason, with Jason Day, there's a little bit of a soft spot in there. I'd love to see him, love to see him back to the top. As as with Jordan Spieth, I'd love to see these guys get back to the form that was captivating when those guys were fighting it out. So yeah. Jason Day. Yeah, Jason Day's a good shout too because as you say, he has been working really, really hard and he has been hanging around the leaderboards a lot more than he uh, in the last few weeks than he has been in the past. So you could be uh, onto something there with Jason Day. Uh, group 7, Fat Pat Reed, Joaquin Newman, Christian Bezent and Holt, which I can't even... I, I think the B is silent, but I'm, uh, that's the best I can do. And Bubba Watson. Um, a really interesting group, this one. Uh, Patrick Reed, Joachim Neiman, Zenton Hope, and Bubba Watson. What What are your thoughts on this group, Stu? Well, if we can't say it, we can't pick it. So I'll go with Fat Pat. Fat Pat's playing pretty good. He's uh, he's in his dog. You can't get any more dogged match player than than Patrick Reed. He's a fighter. He's a fighter. Again, like all these guys, it's in the back of my mind that they'll be not focused on this tournament. They're focused on the yeah, on the Masters upcoming Masters, but I think money means more to Pat than any than anyone else. So he'll be concentrating pretty hard. So Patrick Reed, yeah, I'm with you, uh, Patrick Reed. For me, I, I I love this guy. I know people hate him. Uh, I, I have no problem with this guy at all. I think it, but golf for me is not a popularity contest, uh, and so uh, the guy can play and and he can flat out play match play. So, um, yeah. yeah, he's a fighter. He, um, he can putt well. Um, I, 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 you know, I think the only threat, Bubba Watson's bang out of form at the moment. Zent and Holt, the, the South Africans, actually a really good player. I've watched him play good, uh, in good South player. Africa. He's really excellent uh, on the South African uh, European Tour. He won in South Africa. He's, he's acquitted himself well in America. And I think... He, you know, he's no forlorn hope, and 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 Joachim Neiman as well is, a, is an excellent player, uh, uh, and it won't be easy uh, this group. But I'm I'm going to go with you. I I think Reed just from his match play record alone could squeak squeak the uh, exit out of this group. Group eight, uh, interesting group. This one, uh, a, a, a European flavour to this group: Tyrrell Hatton, Lee Westwood, Sergio Garcia, and Matt Wallace. Who do you like? Mm. Crazy. Uh, tough one because I think obviously Lee's in amazing form. I think Tyrrell's in good form mm. and he's coming back to – and he's a fighter if you can ever get one. But Sergio is probably – look, at Ryder Cup, is there a better match player? I don't know. Mm. Uh, I think it's and a really and tough one. And so, been, yeah, and he's been in pretty good so, form lately, Garcia too, hasn't he? Yep, he's fine apart from three-foot putts. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm. I'm looking at this group. I'm still. I've, I looked at this group this afternoon, and I'm scratching my head, and I'm still scratching my head. Um, my heart says Lee Westwood because um, he's just been playing so w- well. But what was interesting in the tournament after TPC, he admitted that perhaps his 47 year old legs were starting to go on him a little bit, and I think. Uh, it showed uh, at uh, PGA National last week at the Honda Classic where he he started well enough, but he kind of fell in a hole pretty quick. And I, I just think, wonder. I think it's because he was he was he, his legs were going because he's still drinking champagne from the week before. And yeah, so he's probably, probably bathing probably. in it now. <laughs> probably and it, did you know it was funny talking about uh, uh, drinking and uh, liquids and everything. Do you know there was the last count on the Sunday? It could have been more, but the, but over that. 
four days at Florida National, by Sunday afternoon, there had been 251 balls in the drink by a, by a field of professionals. Incredible. That was amazing. Yeah. And there's a lot of water and a lot of holes, and it was it's set up to uh, to attract those balls. Yeah. So they make, yeah. they make it really tight. And I don't know, whether guys were playing the wrong shots or they're just more aggressive. In the old days, they would have been hitting a little bit safer but of course this, this is where the length comes into it you can't hit a a short iron off the tee and then a, a wood into the green so I don't know, it's tough anyway yes um yes uh, i still am still trying to come up with my answer for this group yes I, you're I, faking so, it. so so westwood is uh, as i say my my emotional sort of pick because i'd like to see him progress and keep going but but my my worry with Westwood is uh, he he is fragile with the putter. We all know that. Otherwise, he would have won you know many more and uh, maybe a major or two. So uh, I'm a bit I'm a bit worried about Westwood in this putter. Matt Wallace could be the smoker Smokey in this group because uh, I actually really think he's uh, he's a, he's a good player, Matt Wallace, and uh, and he's a fighter. So do you know what? I've made my mind up. I'm going Matt Wallace because I think he's a street fighter and I think he'll he'll battle hard. And I'm gonna I'm gonna go the outsider in this group and go Matt Wallace to, to get out of group eight. Okay, group nine: uh, Webb Simpson, Paul Casey, Mackenzie Hughes, Taylor Gooch. This is a bit more clear cut, I think, isn't it, Stu? What do you think? Paul Casey. Yeah, I think it's between Paul Casey and Webb Simpson. I think it's. it's I mean, I I, I, okay. I don't think Hughes and Gooch are of the of the class of Simpson or Casey. And uh, I, I mean, I think it's between the two of them. I, I'm personally, I'm going Casey. Who, who do you think? Yeah, I'll have to take Casey. Webb Simpson, he's got every chance of winning this, but I think there'll be some focus from Paul Casey. He's on the verge of doing something, but he's running out. He's running out of time to do something really great. So. Yeah, I'd take the form he's got at the moment. Yeah, I, I also think he's in a rich vein of form at the moment. Uh, he won the Dubai Desert Classic. He um, went close in Saudi the, a couple of weeks later. He uh, came over to the States and, uh, has, and has been hanging around the top of the leaderboards in the States. And uh, he said after his win in Dubai, he's been working really, really hard on this game. And it, and it shows he's he's in great form. So I, um, I'm, yeah, I think we're both in agreements there. Webb Simpson is a... He's an excellent match player, and he could just as easily get through that group. But we've got to pick someone, so I think we're both going Casey there. Uh, group 10, Patrick Cantley, Hideki Matsuyama, Carlos Ortiz, and Brian Harmon. Who do you like, Stu? I don't know. I'll tell you, this would be a great one for an outsider, and Brian Harmon, is he really an outsider? He was playing well last week. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna start Brian Pat Brian Patrick Cantlay could be better play better player than he is. He just somehow seems to lose it mid tournament, not necessarily last round. He loses it mid tournament almost as if it, when he gets a sniff of the lead he starts thinking about it. But Brian Harmon, yeah, I'll go for a little bit of an outsider there. Yeah, I think Brian Hyman's a good shout. He did play very well the other week at TPC, and uh, and I think um, he, he had a really good charge on Sunday afternoon. And if he's in any of that sort of form coming in here, uh, he's going to be very hard to hold out. Hideki Matsuyama seems to be a little bit out of sorts at the moment. Carlos Ortiz, is, is he played well last week at PGA National, but just couldn't quite uh, hold on to a, uh, you know to, to the leader's tails. Um, Patrick Cantlay, for me, is a... Uh, I agree with you. I'm a, he's a bit of an anomaly for me, Cantley. He, 
he he he's, he's he's a multiple winner. He's a class player. There's no doubt about that. He's as I've said to you in the past that he's glacially slow in terms of his pace of play, but um, but he, but he's got an amount of class about him. He should have should have won more than what he has in some ways as well. Um, I'm going to go Cantlay because I, I think as much as Harmon is on is a good in a rich frame of form, there's an element of class about Cantlay. If he gets comfortable and starts winning, he's he can get his tail up. So I'm I'm going to go Cantlay there. Uh, interesting group this one, uh, Group Eleven. Rory McIlroy, a very out of sorts Rory McIlroy. I'd be interested to know what your thoughts are and in, in his interviews lately, Stu. Uh, Rory McIlroy, Cameron Smith. Lanto Griffin and Ian Poulter in Group 11. What are your thoughts on this group, Stu? Uh, my thoughts about Rory first. Uh, I think yeah, Rory, first, yeah, thoughts about Rory first, yeah. I think Rory has realised there's more to life than golf. Uh, he's got He's gone through that lull where it seems really common where when you think you're going to win every week, so many players and have won and then think they're going to step out and keep doing it day after day. He keeps getting so close, close. The frustration and the build-up of not winning all the time, I think, really overtook him for a couple of years. But now I think he's realised there's more to life than just winning golf. And that, in its own, has distracted him. But it's in the back of his mind, it must just be killing him not to take away a few more tournaments and especially the majors, it seems to me like he's going to, when he relaxes, he'll finally get pregnant again. And he'll, when he relaxes, meaning when he relaxes, the wins will just start coming. And if he stops trying too hard, he'll win them. And he hasn't quite stopped trying too hard. And I think, again, and as another player, his, his distraction with the Masters, were, he, I doubt he has any interest in apart from hitting the ball properly and putting well, and maybe that'll work. But if we take the group, then I have no doubt that you're going to say Cameron Smith is your favourite. Have to go yep. have to go with Cam Smith as well. Yep, the mullet man. I love the mullet man. Um, he's uh, yeah. I have a, a professed soft spot for Cam Smith. I make no bones about it. I love the guy, uh, and uh, have always loved him. Uh, so yeah, it's a no-brainer for me this one. I, I personally, I just think also take away my my affection for the guy. I think that he's a good match player, uh, and uh, you know uh, he. I think in the in the Presidents Cup, he took on. I think we took on Justin Thomas and beat him in the uh, in the Americas uh, in the Presidents Cup uh, in Melbourne last uh, the year before last. So you know Cameron Smith's got game. He can play match play, uh, and we know when the putter fires, there's not many. Guys putting it better than Cameron Smith, and yeah. I think he's in a real good, rich, rich vein of form as well. Yeah, he's in. See, one thing about match play that drives we're, you we're insane in... is, is when a guy keeps scrambling, and he keeps making putts, and he keeps parring, birdieing, whatever it is. Even though you think you've won, eventually that grinds you down. You feel like you've got the soul, got, and then he'll just keep grinding you out. That's hard to beat. Yeah, it is hard to beat. Yeah, and and as you say, um, an out of sorts Rory McIlroy. I, I just, yeah, I can't trust that guy. And in, so anywhere eight to ten feet with a putter, I, I don't. I do not back Rory McIlroy in golf tournaments because I just don't trust him with a putter. Um, but in Poulter, in Poulter, in he's in this group. He can't. We haven't mentioned him. No, we haven't even mentioned Ian Poulter. That's another guy I just don't go near. I don't. I don't know why. Um, what, what do you think of him? 
I think he's an incredible match player, and he fights like crazy. But he is um, a great match player. He is a great yeah, he, Ryder Cup. Ryder Cup is incredible. Um, um, do I do I do I think he's going to got the quality? I think Ian's getting older. I think um, he's. I don't. I just don't think he has the quality to get through this group. Lanto Griffin's a good player. Lanto Griffin's someone as well that he's surprised me. Lanto Griffin, and he's a guy that uh, I think has got more wins in him as well. Appreciate. Mm. Um, but we yeah, okay, so we both agree, Cameron Smith. Um, group twelve, Tony Finau, Jason Kokrak, Will Zalatoris, and Dylan Fratelli. I've got a bit of an outsider here. I'll start here. I'm gonna go Dylan Fratelli. I'm I'm starting to really warm to this guy. Uh I, I he he hits it a long way. He's 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 a good ball striker. His putting's okay, it's not bad. Uh and I, I'm he played really well at the Masters in November where he was toying with Dustin Johnson and Cameron Smith for the lead uh, on Saturday. He fell away a bit on Sunday. But uh, Dylan Fratelli, uh, I think he finished tied fourth at the Masters in November. I, I really rate this guy and uh, I'm going to give him uh, a, 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 the outsider's um, slot here and, and say he takes Route 12. Who do you like, Stu? Well, I've... Um... So upset with myself for criticising Tony Finau so much that I now owe him a favour. So I'm going full sympathy vote and Tony Finau. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to back him till he wins. Once I start backing him, he's destined to lose everything. But I'm going to back him till he wins. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think there'd be a more popular winner. God, God bless the guy. Uh, I hope he wins someday soon. So, okay, you've gone Finau and I've gone for Fratelli. Uh, we're getting near the end. Only three groups to go. Group 13, Victor Hovland, Abraham Anser, Bernd Wiesberger, and Kevin Streelman. What are your thoughts? Victor Hovland, what an enigma. He's going to smash, smash it, take apart the world. He makes, makes some strange college basketball-type decisions, and he does some <laughs> things that are frantic and unnecessary, and when he takes it out of his game... He's an incredible ball striker. I, I, I don't know how sometimes because that swing gets over the top and round and under and he has to hurry to catch up with it. But he hits the ball well. And when he putts well, I, I think he's going to win some big tournaments. So f- from this group, he he strolls in. I, I agree with all of your sentiments about Victor Hovland. Uh, I don't agree with him winning the group, um, but I couldn't agree with you more about what a talented young guy this is. I mean, it's so golf is in such rude health at the moment with guys like Morikawa and Hovland and uh, and others sort of hanging around. Uh, Doug Gim, that guy, uh, I was really impressed by him as well. I think uh, Doug Gim at the players, even though he fell apart on the Sunday, he's got a big future. Um, but uh, yeah, Victor Hovland, love him. Love his attitude. I love the analogy you made about the college basketball thing because he is kind of like a, he's kind of still like a college player. He's kind of Red cheek, ruddy, ruddy faced, um, full of enthusiasm and youth, and 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 happy and smiling. I really, you couldn't not like the guy. I really like him, and and he's he's an, an amazing golfer. I'm gonna go a real rough one here, really rough. I I can't. I I, I kind of want. I keep watching Bernd Wiesberger, and I keep thinking. This guy is a seven times winner on the European tour. So he's coming out for the sojourn out to the States. He he's, hasn't played particularly well. But this is a course that I think could suit 
Blackburn Wiesberger. He's not particularly long. He doesn't need to be here. He's a good ball striker. He's not a great putter. I, I would say that. But I'm I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent here uh, and say that his uh, his game could could serve him well around here. So I'm going to go Bern Wiesberger to get out of that group. Wow. Group four. Yeah, I know that's rough, eh? Um, <laughs> group fourteen. Um, Daniel. Daniel, but that's I like I like the I like the longer odds sometimes. Uh, group fourteen, Daniel Berger, and I must admit, Bern Wiesberger has been very expensive for me to follow. So I'm, uh, <laughs> he he owes me. Wiesberger yeah. owes me. Um, group fourteen, Daniel Berger, Harris English, Brendan Todd, Eric Van Royen, with the no no socks, which drives me out of my mind. Um, so. Um, yeah, who who do you like in this group, Stu? Uh, it's a tough one, to be honest. Uh, they're all good players. They can all perform on the day. Who's going to have more fun playing match play? I'm literally picking out of a hat. And Harris English, the one, the one I'm going with. There's no real sense about it. Brendan Todd just has these this amazing shoot, low scores, but. I don't know. He's not that great under pressure. Daniel Berger seems fantastic under pressure when he wakes up in the morning and has the right juice. And Van Ruyen's another like fantastic golfer that has been playing well, but I don't know. The stage may be too big, so pick Harris. There you go. I, um, I'm i going to go Daniel Berger because I really rate Berger. I, I, I've got a lot of time for Daniel Berger. Uh, uh, he pulled out of the... Um, uh, of the Honda Classic last week, citing a rib injury, uh, which concerns me a little bit. Uh, but as long as he's okay, uh, was, he's had a week to recover now, and he pro, he pulled out of the pro am and said, you know, just not quite right with this. Uh, he's a bit of a small rib injury, and he did the right thing, I think, by pulling out. Um, what was a very sort of brutal four days at PGA National with the windy conditions and what have you. So I think as long as he's freshened up. Um, I loved his win at Pebble Beach, uh, at the Pro, AT&T Pro-Am at Pebble Beach Burger. He was so, so solid on the greens, man. That guy can putt. So um, I really, I love Burger. I, I kind of put Burger in the sort of same bracket as Justin Thomas in terms of his street fighting mentality. So um, I'm going to go Burger. So uh, Harris English for you, Daniel Burger for me. Uh, second to last group, group 15, Matt Fitzpatrick, Matthew Wolf, Corey Connors, and Jordan, the comeback from Jesus Spieth, that guy has been making a hell of a comeback in the last few weeks. It's been great to see. Um, what do you think about, A, Jordan Spieth's comeback, Stu, and, uh, and what do you think about him maybe trying to get out of this group? I can't believe we're talking about Jordan Spieth having a comeback. He shouldn't have gone anywhere. It's, he's the most amazing golfer, had it all on a platter, was beating his mate Thomas easily, easily, was doing everything and somehow seemed to have lost. I don't get, I don't get it. So whether it's in his head or now they're look, starting to look technical and all those sorts of things, I really don't understand it. So um, Jordan Spieth would be great to see him back in the winning circle, getting out of this group. He should get out of the group easy, but I'm not picking him. I'm picking Matt Fitzpatrick because he's a... Played a lot of match play, good match player, gutsy, great putter. When he takes the damn flag out, great putter. A great player right through the course. And if he stays steady, he's another big winner in 2021. 
So I'm going with him. Yeah, this is a tough group, man. I, I really am uh, struggling with this. Matthew Wolf is probably the player I'm not struggling with. I don't think he's in it. he's just in not in terribly good form at, at the moment, but uh, that could change. But I just don't, I'm not figuring him in this. I'm trying to, you know, Matt Fitzpatrick has been in great form lately. He's he's rock solid. He'll suit a course like this. Um, Corey Connors, I love watching Corey Connors swing a golf club. I just think he has the most prettiest, languid, lovely swing to watch. Uh, I really like him. Uh, I, I think he, he, he ranks very highly on the PGA Tour strats on driving accuracy and on um, uh, on shots gained, uh, shots gained um, uh, tee to green. So I, 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 I'm going to go Connors because I, he's been on a rich frame of form lately. I, 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 I love Jordan Spieth. Would love to see him carry on his improvement. I just think this is a group of death. I, I think any one of these four players could win it. Uh, and uh, I, I, I completely see where you're coming from with Fitzpatrick. I agree with you, uh, but I'm going to. I have a feel for Corey Connors because I just think uh, he's um, this course will suit him. So, um, yep, Fitzpatrick for you, Connors for me. And in the final group, Sanjay M, Victor Perez, who's been real. I've been really impressed by this European uh, tour player lately. Uh, Mark Leishman and Russell Henley. This is an interesting group. I have absolutely no idea. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it over to you first. I'm going with Sanjay M. Victor Perez playing great. Mark Leishman's off form and probably going backwards. Don't really yeah. know why he's the Sunday finisher that we all love to be, but he doesn't seem to be doing too much at the moment. Don't understand it. And Russell Henley, good outsider. He's playing some good golf. But Sanjay M, I think he, he's pretty steady. When you say steady, he's up and down during a tournament, but he. Gee, can play some good golf, so he's my pick. Yeah, I think Sanjay M. I'm, I'm with you. I'm going to go with Sanjay M as well. I mean, Henley had a great uh, last. Uh, he, he tied third finish at the Honda Classic last week. So I mean, uh, and he led the field in strokes gained putting. So I mean, his putter could be on fire. He could be someone to watch, Russell Henley. Um, but I think uh, in, in class and in, in a match play situation. Uh, I'm I'm going to go with you and, and go with Sung J.M. So that's our, our wander through the 16 brackets. Uh, well, sorry, uh, yeah, the 16, yeah, the 16 groups and, and the bracket play. I am now uh, going to ask you, Stu, to pick me a winner uh, based on you know uh, I'm not we're not going to have to go through the quarters and semis. I just want you to pick me an out an, an outright winner of the tournament. And the reasons why, and then I'll um I'll tell you mine. Well, <laughs> we go from pool play to the outright champion. Look, it's so hard yep. to pick, but king with my theory that guys that are out there and on the master, master, which is just which is just around the corner, are working on game. So they're standing on course, they're constantly thinking about where their ball striking is at, their putting is at, whatever. And I, I think they're thinking of it in relation to what's upcoming the top guys in pretty much every group will have that on their mind maybe a guy like Bryson DeChambeau is focused on the now but I'm not sure I think the the big guys are not necessarily going to be thinking about or, or overthinking they'll be overthinking how their game is at in readiness for the masters so that takes a few of those guys out for me 
then wow, it comes down to to getting through a tournament where you've got so much match play going through. At the chip here and a putt, here and a putt there and a bounce there. So you've got to go with someone who can just wear others down, roll through. It has to be on the list that we've created. Created, say Cam Smith. I think he's due for a for a really good finish. Um, I think he's gritty. He's got that relaxed attitude as well. It could be Victor Hovland, but I'm actually I've circled it already. I'd circled it before we started talking. I'm going with Louis Oosthuizen. Just think he's coming through to the right type of form. If his putter keeps working, he's an outside chance and he's paying real good money. <laughs> so, Louis, he's my pick. Yeah, Louis Oosthuizen was actually... Uh, I got down to my final four uh, this afternoon uh, of, of my winners, uh, like uh, who I thought were you know, my picks to win this tournament. Louis Eustazen was my last player off the list. Like that, I agree with you. He is in really good, solid form lately. He, he'll, 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 he's well suited to this course. He putts really well when he's, when he's feeling it. And I, I, I had to really think long and hard about Louis Eustazen because I, he is great value. And, um, and I had to, I eventually steered away from him. Um, and uh, and I eventually went, um, and I might relive to regret this, but um, but but I eventually went Kevin Kisner because I I think that uh, uh, you don't finish second and first on this course in two years running for no reason. Uh, I think that he he loves it here. He, he he's. I think you said it at the start. He's probably been building towards this tournament as his money maker for the year because he knows where he can he can benefit and play. And there are certain tournaments he'll prosper in, not being the longest off the tees, and the certain ones that he won't. Augusta is not a course that he tends to prosper in because he's just not quite long enough. So I, I think that this is a course that he looks at to make money at and to to win. Um, yes, he has a really tough group in, in JT, and that's a big danger and a big problem for me. But if he gets through that, then uh, then, then I think uh, he, he'll be he'll be a hard man to beat going on, going forward. And he, and his odds were it's like a sixty six to one or something like that, which I just thought was crazy for a defending champion uh, in, a, in a limited field. So. Yep, I'm I'm going to go Kevin Kisner as much as I like Cameron Smith, and and I would you know put Cameron Smith in that mix as well. Um, I'm I, I'm going to go Kevin Kisner for the, all the reasons I just stated. So um, your as I say, yours is uh, Kevin uh, Louis Eustace, and mine is Kevin Kisner. And uh, I've noted down the, uh, the the guys we like uh, in our in our in our groups, and I'm just going to tweet those out as the weekend goes in terms of how we progressed through those group plays in terms of our predictions and, and see how we end up come the weekend. But um, I just want to say thank you very much, Stu. It's been really great to talk to you, first of all, about golf course design and and, you know, and, and, and your sort of history in that and what it sort of takes to, to build and, and develop golf courses. That was really fascinating to, to talk about. It's something that really interests me personally. And then um, it was great to go through the WGC. Um, it, it starts tomorrow, uh, everyone, instead of Thursday. You know, it starts a day early, so be aware of that. And uh, I, I hope everyone enjoys the show, uh, and uh, and good luck with your with your golf picks. Cool. Awesome. Thanks. Pleasure to be here. A lot of fun. 
like talking about golf, love golfers, love golf. Um, catch up when Thanks, I catch, yeah. up, was, was, catch up when I win the money. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Thanks, mate. Great to talk to you. Cheers. Cheers.